Well, as you can see, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, right? <laughs> I, I won't sing it today, maybe next week. Um, but it's, it's not just in here. And I do, I think uh, my parents, both my mom and my dad, we were down here on Friday decorating. And so that's the advantage of having a dad who's retired. He can come and help you hang up Christmas lights. <laughs> so I think, it looks, it, I think it looks really nice in here. We actually might keep these string lights up all year. I think they just look so cool. So anyway, um, but it's, it's not just in here, right? Everywhere you go, everywhere you look, uh, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. There's, we, people are getting trees up. People are listening to Christmas carols. The stores are decorated. You don't want to go to Costco and the mall. Uh, I don't really like going to the mall anyway, but I definitely don't like going there this time of year. Uh, you have to find a babysitter for your work Christmas party. Uh, it's a pain. There's just a lot of things to do. There's a lot of shopping. There's a lot of wrapping. There's a lot of stressing. There's a lot of eating. There's a lot of stress eating. Uh, we can put it all together. There's social gatherings. It just feels like everything is more, more intense, more family, more stressful, more crowded, more fattening. <laughs> and, and it's just our expectations or our sense of the way things should be. They're really high this time of year. We, we feel like we're supposed to be having a good time. We're supposed to be feeling cheerful and joyful because it's Christmas time. But I think for many of us, it is difficult to enjoy this season because if we are honest, if we're looking around, if we have our eyes open, there, there remains a lot of pain and a lot of brokenness in the world around us, even though it's Christmas time. Those things don't just go away. So, so poverty and war, and relational conflict, and corruption, and sickness, and addiction, and the list. We could just keep listing things that are, that are evidences of brokenness in the world. And so, so we can ask, what, what are we supposed to do with all of those things, all of those things that are not cheerful, all of those, those things that that there are no Christmas carols about. What are we supposed to do with all of those things in light of this celebration, in the, in the light of remembering Jesus' birth? Do we just kind of shove it aside and try to forget about it or ignore it until, until like after New Year's sometime, and then we go, okay, the Christmas season has worn off now, and I've already broken my resolutions, and now it's time to just face reality again. Is that what we're supposed to do? And what if, what if we just can't do that? What if it's not just, not just something that's going on in somebody else's life? What if it's going on in our own life? So for those of you who find yourself in that place of tension between what, is, what, what the decorations look like and what's going on in your own life or the world around you, the season of Advent is for you. And for those of you who don't feel that tension, Advent is for you as well because you should feel that tension. We should all feel that tension because the, the truth is, the reality is, we live in between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. 
and there's tension, right? If you're in between two things, their tension exists. So in Jesus' first coming, that's what we celebrate at Christmas, right? He was born, and then he lived a perfect life. He performed miracles, he preached, he taught, and then he died on a cross, and he was raised to life on the third day. So that's what has been done. That's Jesus' first coming. It's already been accomplished. But there is more to come. There is more to come because all is not as it should be and all is not as it will be. Jesus promised over and over again, I'm going to come again. And he said it repeatedly, watch for my coming. Wait with expectation for me to come again. And so Advent Advent is distinct from Christmas. We, we sort of blend them together now. It all just becomes, after Thanksgiving, it's all Christmas. But, but Advent, historically, through the life of the church, has been this distinct season for us to remember both Jesus' first coming and his second coming, because remembering Jesus' first coming and what led up to that prepares us to live in the tension that we live in now before Jesus' second coming. So when we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, right, it's calling us to think about the songs and the longings and the yearnings that Israel had before the Messiah came the first time. And we are in the same place now. We're waiting for Jesus to come again. So we sing the same kinds of songs. We feel the same kind of longing for Jesus to come again. So we live in this tension of Christ has come, Christ will come again, and we live in between. So when we think about Christmas, which comes after Advent, Christmas announces or proclaims or tells us God keeps his promises, right? He has not abandoned us, that he is God who lives with us, Emmanuel, God in the flesh. But we continue to celebrate or to mark Advent to say, let's keep hoping. Let's continue longing to actively wait for Jesus' second coming, for his return, because he will once more be God with us. And not just for a few decades, but for all eternity, he will be God with us. So the first week of Advent, it helps remind us of this by calling us to hope. On this first Sunday of Advent, we're looking at a prophecy from the book of Micah. So Micah is a little tiny book right after Jonah. If you're using one of the Bibles from the back table, this will be on page 778. Micah chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 5, and there we will see the grounding of hope, a picture of hope, and the practice of hope. Micah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, 
that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit, every man, under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this gift. Today is a gift. This season of Advent is a gift. And your word is a gift. And most of all, Lord Jesus, you are a gift. You are a grace to us. You are grace for us. And I pray that that as we're living in this tension of, of what has been done and what is to come, that you would give us hope to believe and see what you have done in the past, how you have kept your word, how you have fulfilled your promises, and that would give us hope, that would give us a vision for what is to come, and that we could practice hope, that we could live out hope in our everyday lives, together as a community, as individuals, here right where we live, in Eureka and Arcata, McKinleyville, wherever you have us, to live out hope, and to bring glory to Jesus. So help us now. Help us as we come to your word and help me uh, to speak truth through your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the, f- the first thing, maybe not the first thing, but one of the first things that we might think about hope is that it's a, it's a tricky thing. Hope is a tricky thing because hope requires us to trust And to believe. So if we say, I hope that, fill in the blank. I hope that this will happen. I hope that you're doing well. I hope whatever it might be. However you end that sentence. I hope that. When we say that, logically we're saying we have a basis for that hope. So if we say that I hope you're doing well, we have some sense that everyone should be doing well, and it's reasonable for us to hope that someone is doing well. Our hope is built on something. So otherwise, we're just making a wish, kind of, like we're just feeling optimistic. Um, In her coming of age in Alaska novel called The Great Alone, the author Kristen Hanna, she is, is talking about this teenage character who's gone through a lot of trauma and difficulty in her life. And in this particular moment, Lenny saw suddenly how hope could break you, how it was a shiny lure for the unwary. What happened to you if you hoped too hard for the best and got the worst? Was it better not to hope at all, to prepare, to prepare for the worst? And, and maybe some of us feel that cynicism today, that hope is a shiny lure for those who aren't really paying attention, for the unwary, that it's, that it's a trick, because we've all hoped for things that have not worked out. 
right? We've all hoped or wished, no matter how unreasonable it might have been, and it hasn't turned out that way, or maybe some of those hopes we should be able to, 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 to have a foundation and to say, like, I hope when I stand up and marry this person that, that it's going to last, that it's going to be for f- until one of us dies, right? That's a, that's a reasonable hope because we're making these vows to one another, and it doesn't always work out that way. And that's a, that's a broken hope. That's a painful thing that doesn't just go away. So the question for us is, why should we have hope today? What's the, what's the grounding of our hope? What's the basis for our hope? And the, the short answer is because of what Jesus called the kingdom of God. Jesus called the kingdom of God. So, so we're going to turn to this passage we just looked at in Micah that we just read. And in the, the first three verses of Micah 4, there's this prophetic vision. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. Here's what life looks like when everything is settled under the rule and the reign of God. So, so just setting the timeline for this, this prophecy in Micah, it's written about 700 years before Jesus is born in Bethlehem. So 700 years before. But, but there's other parts in Micah that talk about Jesus' birth, but this, this is looking past that. This isn't talking about his birth. It's not even talking about God's final judgment, which is what most of Micah is about. This part of Micah in chapter 4 is looking beyond the first coming of the Messiah, beyond his second coming in judgment. What comes after? What comes after all these things? And Micah uses this language, in the days to come. It shall come to pass. There's this expression for, for here's the future beyond what we can see, but beyond what you and I can see. It's this language of anticipation. It's this language of, of biblical hope. Biblical hope is hope in what God will do in the future based on what he's already done in the past. So these these verses, they paint a picture. Here's what this kingdom of God will look like. First, it's a gathering in, right? Everyone, all the nations will come to the mountain of the Lord. They'll come to worship God. The place where he dwells will be lifted up and all the people will flow to it. So they'll all come to the place where God is. So it's this river of humanity flowing uphill to worship the one true God. And we can say this is a fulfillment of what Jesus said in John chapter 12. When I am lifted up, Jesus said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And and Jesus was speaking specifically about his death on a hill, on a cross, but he's also, we could say that this is applying to Jesus drawing all the nations to himself, to worship him in his kingdom forever. So the first part says the kingdom of God is a drawing in. All people will come to worship God in the place where he dwells. And the second half says here's what the kingdom will look like as it spreads throughout all of the new creation. In in the kingdom of God, the nations will no longer need armies or weapons because Jesus 
he will execute his perfect justice. And, and he will have finally, decisively, completely defeated all of our enemies. And so we won't need to fear any injustice. We won't need to fear any aggression or terrorism or any of those kinds of things. And so the tools, the things that we have to keep us safe or, or to help us feel like we're safe, they'll all be turned into tools of cultivation, things that we use to, to tend gardens and to make things grow and to make things beautiful in the kingdom of God. So we look toward, we, we anticipate, we hope for a day when Jesus will bring a peace that the world really has never known. And Jesus, when he came into the world, he announced this kingdom. This kingdom is now here. I'm, I'm beginning the work of the kingdom of God. When, and, and then when he, when he conquered death on the third day, he was saying, this kingdom is inaugurated. It's like, you know, the, the first part of Jesus coming is like the election gets voted in, but the inauguration is when the president gets sworn in, right? So when Jesus walks out of the tomb on the third day, this kingdom, the rule and the reign is now beginning. And yet, right, we look today and we go, okay, Jesus is the king. He's ruling and reigning at the right hand of the father. But the world in here and outside, it doesn't look like like what we just read in Micah chapter 4. It doesn't, it doesn't look like that. And that's because there is more to come. There is a final fulfillment when Jesus will come again to rule completely as king. There's that tension, right? We live in between. The kingdom of God is already in motion, but it's it's not yet fulfilled all the way. And we live in the middle of that. We live in that tension. So, so when we look toward the future, toward tomorrow, toward the next day, we need hope. And so in the gospel of Jesus, the good news of who Jesus is, what he has done, we, we have a basis for our hope. Here's what Jesus has already done. He's already come. He's already begun the kingdom of God. And now the promise of what he will do when he comes again, that's, that's the reason for the basis of our hope. God's past faithfulness is the grounding or the basis of our hope for tomorrow. And so Advent is this invitation. It's this moment where we can go, I want that hope. I want to have that longing to see the world as it should be. Because a lot of us have just kind of, we just, we're like, I'm, I'm living today, I'm doing my stuff that I need to do today, and I don't even really want to think about tomorrow because it's a little scary. It's a little frightening of, of what could happen. What could happen in our town? What could happen in our country? What could happen to the world? And it's scary and Advent says we can have hope for the future because God has been faithful to us in the past. And so when Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done, 
We can pray that thinking about tomorrow and the next day. What would it look like, Jesus, for your kingdom to come, for your will to be done here today? And in verse chapter 4, Micah starts to give us a picture. Here's what this hope of the kingdom of God will look like when it is fully realized. Not when we're, we won't be waiting any longer, but when it's fulfilled, when it's fully realized, a picture of hope. In verse 4, but they shall sit, every man from every nation under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. And this is this picture of flourishing, of, of wholeness in the new creation, the kingdom of God. Jesus is finally completely ruling and reigning over all things, so there's no more sin. There's no more shame. There's no more fear. There's no more injustice. There's no more, one of my pet peeves, no more four-way stop signs, okay? We won't have to worry about that anymore. Every person in the kingdom of God will dwell in safety and in provision and peace. No one will cause us worry. No one will cause us to hurry. No one will startle us or trouble us or stress us out or cause any anxiety. There will be no reason for fear any longer. Why? Because the Lord of hosts what Eugene Peterson calls the God of the angel armies, he will have spoken the final word. Revelation 21, verse 5, he who was seated on the throne said, behold, look, I am making all things new. This is the picture, the, the vision. Here's what new creation look like, looks like after Jesus comes again and takes his place as ruler and king and Speaking of this new creation, there's this Dutch theologian named Anthony Hokeman. He says, because of man's fall into sin, a curse was pronounced over creation. God now sent his son into the world to redeem that creation from the results of sin. The work of Christ, therefore, is not just to save certain individuals, not even to save an innumerable throng of blood-bought people, the total work of Christ is nothing less than to redeem this entire creation from the effects of sin. Advent allows us or gives us room to look around and say the curse of sin is real. It's not just, it's not just a theological truth, it's real. We see the effects of the curse of sin everywhere we look, inside of ourselves, in, in every aspect of creation. We see it when, when refugees are, are flooding, try, they're trying to get out of the places where they live because the government is so tyrannical or there's a famine or whatever it might be, we see the effect of sin. That's not the way things should be. We see in, in racial injustice, in, in marriages falling apart, in substance abuse, in the pain of, of cancer, right? All these different places, we can see the effect of sin. But, but what this is calling us to remember is that the curse of sin is not eternal. The curse of sin is 
temporary, and, and there is a cure for the curse. It's, it's Jesus. And so the earth, and I think this is so crucial for us to remember in Advent and always, the earth is not just waiting to be put out of its misery like a dying horse or something. Like that's, we look around and we just go, one day all this will be over and I will get like perish, you know, I'll just get pulled out of here and I don't care what happens to, to everyone else and everything else. But, but the biblical reality is that the earth is not going to be put out of its misery. It, it will be made new. Everything will be made new. And when it is made new, we'll get to see the reality, the truth of, of what Isaac Watts says in that famous hymn, Joy to the World, that we'll get to sing later. And it will come to life. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found, he comes to make his blessings flow. This is, here's, here's a tip or a trick. When you sing Christmas carols, don't just think about Jesus' first coming. Think of his second coming. Joy to the world is not just about Jesus as a baby. It's about Jesus coming as king. Joy to the world. And, and when you sing it that way, when you look at it that way, you go, now I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for Jesus to come again because then I can finally rest. I can finally stop worrying. I can rejoice that the curse has been lifted and that King Jesus is reigning perfectly forever. The basis or the grounding of our hope is God's past faithfulness and his promises for what is to come. And the picture of our hope is the new creation where Jesus is king. And finally, we'll, we'll look at the practice of hope. What does this look like in real life? And, and, and so... <laughs> We're reading Micah. It's talking about this, this thing that is to come. How, you know, how does this all, what do we do with this? When we leave, we go home, we have to take the kids to school tomorrow. Um, you know, that thing that we set aside uh, is still there. We're getting family pictures done this afternoon. Should be a joyful time and not always a pleasant time. <laughs> It's stressful, right? Family photos, difficult. Um, you know, what, what is this picture in Micah, this vision of what is to come? What's it going to be for us when we go to the doctor tomorrow? What good is the promise of a fig tree and a vine, right? Like, I don't even know. I don't want a fig tree that bad. You know, because all these questions, what are we really asking? How do we, how do, we do this? How do I connect this biblical hope and what God has done and what he's going to do to tomorrow, to, to this afternoon. What's it going to look like? How do we live it out? And, and actually, this is here in what Micah says in verse 5. How do we connect these promises to now in this moment of tension that we live in? Verse 5, for all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. And what's Micah telling us there? That all the peoples, the, the world around us, it's fragmented in its pursuit of hope. 
he, he says that they each walk in the name of its God. They take on a thing to worship, something to give their lives to. And, and, and we do this and everyone around us does this, right? One day I put my hope in this, in my job or my education or this person. And then the next day it's something else because that person, that job, that education, whatever, it didn't meet our expectation. It didn't fulfill our hopes, and, and our hope is just like a moving target. But if the object of your hope is unstable, your hope is going to be unstable as well. You're not going to be able to be rooted or have any confidence because your, the object of your hope isn't worth, it doesn't, it's not valuable enough, it's not strong enough to bear that hope. But, but Micah says the people of God, we have a sure hope. We will walk in the name of the Lord our God because we know who he is. We, already, we can look back and see what he's done and we know what he's like and we know that he's going to keep his promises so our hope is sure and the object of our faith is sure. It doesn't, he doesn't change so then we can live hopeful lives even if we don't see it in, in the immediate moments that we're in, so we can live hopeful lives of waiting and worship. Waiting and worship. So again, what does this look like? When we choose, we say, okay, all this other stuff around me, it's temporary, it's going to be shifting sand. But when we say, God, you will bring your goodness to bear in the future, no matter what's happening to me today, it's it's declaring we're declaring by choosing god as the object of our hope we're saying i i trust you i'm willing to trust you even though i can't see the line that's connecting where i'm at and what you say is going to happen and when we trust god like that when we put our faith in him that is worship we think of worship all the time as like it's that song that we love and it comes on in the car and we're just hands up, not eyes closed, right? Because you're driving till we have self-driving cars, then you can just totally go for it. Worship is trusting God in moments when you, you cannot see out of the darkness of your circumstances what's going on in your life. So when we say God has promised that one day he will restore all things and when we look beyond the moment that we're in, that's worship to say, I can't see it, but I believe that you're going to do this. And, and I will keep trusting you. I will, I will keep looking to you. That's worship. And that's hope. When we live in obedience, when we do what God calls us to do to live the kind of lives that he does when we submit to him, when we submit to one another, when we love other people, that's, that's worship. That's an act of worship. And we think, well, waiting is just giving up. Waiting is just being passive. It's just, just sitting around until God does something. But, but we can actively wait for God. We can, we can worship God through our waiting, right? By not giving up. Okay, we're, we're in this moment of tension and we go, I, I don't know what I'm going to do in this circumstance. I don't know how to move forward. 
But when we say, God, you've called me to live like this in the meantime, in this in-between time, to love people, to, to be generous, to, to serve, to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Um, what about this? You can wait for God to do what he's promised to do by speaking well, right, of the place that you live. How many, how many of you trash Humboldt when you talk about it? You're just like, oh, this place, it's terrible. <laughs> Nick does. <laughs> he's the only one. Or, or, or other people in your life. Did you know that you, you can worship God through speaking well, through looking beyond the reality of, of, you know, yes, Eureka has its problems, <laughs> no doubt. But, but God is going to make Eureka new. He's going to make all the people that, that put their hope in Jesus, going to make them new. And so, so there's, a, there's something that's coming, a reality that's greater. And we can speak well. We can say, I'm, I'm looking forward to the day when things are going to be made new. I think a rocket just took off in there. I heard a countdown. <laughs> Here's how we can wait and worship God is, is to remember where our hope comes from. It's not because we are strong. It's because our God is strong. And we will walk in the name of the Lord forever and ever. And Jesus is the one who gets to have the final word Timothy Paul Jones, he says, in Advent, Christians embrace the groaning, recognizing it not as hopeless whimpering over the poverty of the present moment, but as expectant yearning for the divine banquet that Jesus is preparing for us. Just as the ancient Israelites awaited the coming of the Messiah in flesh, we await the coming of the Messiah in glory. In Advent, believers confess that the infant who drew his first ragged breath between a virgin's knees has yet to speak his final word. We begin with the grounding of our hope. Why should we have hope? Because of God's past faithfulness. We can believe his promise of the future restoration because it's already begun in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We saw a picture of hope. What are we hoping for? What's, what is coming? We look ahead to God's new creation, a future where all things are set right as far as the curse is found. And how do we practice this hope? How do we live it out in these in-between times? By worshiping Jesus as the object of our hope, even in difficulty, and by watching and waiting eagerly for his return with an active expectancy, an active waiting. And just, just think of this as your motto. Christ has come. Christ will come again. Let's pray. Father, I know each of us is in our own place of tension where where what you tell us you've already done and what is to come feels so out of sync with, with where we are at in our lives. And I pray that this morning you would 
you would take your word and use it to reorient our hearts. A lot of times we want you to change so that we don't have to, but, but we're asking you today by the power of the Holy Spirit to change and transform us. And if that takes confession on our part, then help us to confess and repent. If it takes encouragement from another person, would you send that person to speak words of encouragement to us? Whatever, whatever you're calling us and whatever way to respond, help us to put our hope in you, Lord Jesus. We, we so long for you to come again. It is, it is a beautiful privilege to look back and remember when you came the first time, but, but we want you to come back again because this world needs you so badly. So help us to wait and help us to worship as we wait. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.